Ephesians 4, 7-16, the Word of God says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore he says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together, but by, but, um, excuse me, by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You may be seated. Holy and righteous Father in heaven, we now come before you, your throne as beggars, Lord. Father, we are in desperate need of you. I am in desperate need of you to preach this word. Everyone in here is in desperate need of you to hear this word, to receive this word, to obey this word. Father, may I decrease that you may increase. Father, keep me from speaking anything that is not according to your word. And as the passage says, let, may this sermon, grant that this sermon would be for the equipping, the edification, the protection and preservation and growth of all who are in this place. Father, would you save souls and bring them into your kingdom, into your church, even now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
So if you were here a couple weeks ago, I think three or four weeks ago, I preached on understanding your pastor as a shepherd. Today I would like to speak on understanding your pastor as a gift, which is what we see here in Ephesians, our passage today. And we see it's speaking of, you know, yes, the pastor, but it's speaking of the church. You know, today in society and culture, even in Christian circles, the church has just become a, I can take it or leave it. It's just, you know, well, I could go to church or I, I could stay home. You know, it's, it's my personal relationship with Jesus. I mean, I'm, I'm going to grow. I, I can read. I'm in my Bible. I can pray. I can do all that. I'll, I'll need the church. But what is the place of the church? And what is the place of these men called pastors in the church? And that's what Paul deals with today. We see uh, in the first three chapters, Paul just lays out theology, lays out the doctrine of God, the teaching of God. He begins talking about blessing God for he chose us. He has redeemed us. He has sealed us by his spirit. He's going through laying out blessing after blessing after blessing of being in Christ. And he gets to chapter 4 when he starts really making application of all those teachings. The first place he goes is to the church. So, according to Paul, and of course, this isn't just Paul's mind. According to God, according to Christ, the church is to have a very, very significant place in each and every one of our lives. And as we speak of today, the pastor or the shepherd, as I spoke of last time, the shepherd should have a very important role in your life, which gives us as shepherds, responsibility, and you as well. So with that being said, let's see what Paul has to tell us about the church. So starting in verse 7, you see it starts with a but. We know we don't start sentences with buts. So in verses 1 through 6, we see Paul here, he's calling the church. In verse 2, he's calling them to... Um, and wor walking worthily of their calling, he's telling them walk in lowliness or humility and gentleness. You know, he's calling them to uh, be of the same mind and the unity of the faith. Tells them there's one spirit, there's one body, the church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all. And then he starts speaking of these gifts that Christ has given to the church called pastors. So we see in verse 7, he says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore he says, this speaking of Christ, therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. In other words, the Lord Jesus, after he had come from heaven into this earth, 
after he had lived a perfect perfectly righteous life on our behalf because that was God's requirement after he suffered on the cross bearing the sins of his people he suffered the wrath of God and he went to the grave for three days and he rose again and as Paul says in Romans he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead And after 40 days, he ascended back into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. So he ascended. And it says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. What does that mean? Well, each and every one of us, perhaps you're still in that state. But I know many of us have been freed. Each and every one of us were born and we were slaves of sin. We were captives of Satan. Yes, we could choose our sin, but we were still a slave to it. We were a slave because of our desires. We may desire this sin or this sin, but nevertheless, we desired sin. We did not desire God. We did not desire Christ. We did not desire the church. But when he ascended on high, he led us, his people, from being captives to Satan, captives to their sin, captives to their lust, their evil desires. And he led them from being captives to sin, to captives to himself. As Paul says in Romans, that we were once slaves of sin. But he says, we've been delivered from that former doctrine. We've been delivered. And now, being set free from sin, we become slaves of Christ. He led us from being captives to sin to captives of Christ. I hope you are a captive to Christ this morning. Because it's either one or the other. There's no in between. You're a slave. You're a captive of Satan and your sin or you're a slave of Christ. So he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. So what are these gifts? Well, first in verse 9, Paul wants to take a step back and he wants to go a little deeper into the one who ascended, Jesus Christ. He says, now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. So Christ, the one who ascended into heaven, it said he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. Now what does this mean? Well, this uh, phrase, lower parts of the earth, is used about six times in the Old Testament. Now there are times it refers to hell. Like in Psalm 63, where David is praying, he's like, those who persecute me, they'll go into the lower parts of the earth. But it's also used just speaking of the earth. Actually, David speaking of his mother's womb, Psalm 139. He says, you knit me together in the lower parts of the earth. So it's really the context that tells us exactly what this phrase means. But we know that Christ, the one who ascended, he descended. 
In the book of Philippians, Paul tells us, he was in the very form of God, but did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself, all of his heavenly privileges. Yes, he remained God, but all of his heavenly privileges, he emptied himself and he came as a form of a slave. And Jesus says, or Jesus said when he was here, he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. So Jesus Christ, the one who ascended and sat at the right hand of God, he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. Verse 10, he who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself, these are the gifts, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So we see here five divisions. So first of all, we see the apostles and prophets. Well, if you go back to Ephesians 2.20, he says the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. There was one Christ, and there was one group of apostles and prophets that the church was built upon. But then we have evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Evangelists are the ones that go out, preach the gospel, but here... We see pastors and teachers, which teaching, of course, is a role of the pastors. So, when Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, he gave gifts to each one of you. Gifts of pastors and teachers. So, before we even go any further, when you give a gift to someone, what do you expect? Do you expect them to say, oh, no, thank you? I'm good. I don't need your gift. Would that not even offend you? So here, Christ. Christ, who not just walked up and said, here's a gift. Christ, who loved you before the foundation of the world. Christ who set aside all of his heavenly riches. Christ, who came into this earth, lived the life that none of us could live on your behalf. Christ, who took all of your sin in his body, suffered the infinite wrath of God for you. He rose again on the third day for you to be declared righteous before a holy God. Christ who loves you with an everlasting love. Christ who only is for your good. All things he's ordained for your good. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above. It comes down from the Father of lights. It comes down from Christ. This is the one who gave you these gifts. Shall we reject the gift of Christ? What shall we do? But the gift, the gifts that Christ gives, the gifts of men for, as we'll see here, for the good of your own soul. So it says, he gave these gifts, these gifts of pastors and teachers. Verse 12, 
for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So this word equipping, think of it this way. If you have a piano and you need to tune that piano and you go through each and every chord and you tune it perfectly so that the entire piano works together just right. That's what this word equipping means in its original language in the Greek. So as, as pastors, we are not just to come up here and preach some message just generally to everyone here. Then you go home. Then you come back. We do the same thing. You just show up as spectators to hear a sermon. That's not the reason Christ gave you these gifts. He didn't just give you someone to show up and preach a message to you. You're like, hey, I I can stay home. I can watch it on TV. I can pull it up on YouTube. Well, really, is, is that what we are to do with Christ's gift. It says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. That means as pastors. We are to equip each and every one of you individually. Yes, we preach a message to everyone here. But we have to go to each and every one of you and fine-tune you, so to speak, and equip you for what? The work of the ministry. A lot of times we're like, well, you know, they're pastors. They're the ones who do the ministry. Or these people are deacons. They're the ones who do the ministry. But here we see that, as we'll see even more explicitly later on, that each and every one of you are to do the work of the ministry in this church. So Paul is telling us here, Christ is telling us here, this isn't just a place you show up, you hear a message, you go home. This is a place that you come to be equipped and to get involved in the ministry. And as we'll see later, the church doesn't even function properly if everyone isn't doing that. So, equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. Edifying, this word means building up. So as each and every one of you are equipped, the church is built up. So, the first purpose we see here of your pastor is a gift. It's for your equipping and your edification. Now that's looking at it from a positive stand. But as we come here, we look in verse 13. We see that this equipping, this edification to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, you know, that's essential But there is another side we come to in verse 14. But let me mention this real quick. I want to 
pull this out. So we see at the end of verse 13, it says, To a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now you may hear that statement, and your first reaction may be like, huh, that's impossible. No one's going to be a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Well, why is Paul calling us to this? Have you considered that? You know, I preached a sermon a while ago, Sanctification by Faith. And it was off this verse, According to your faith, let it be done to you. Do you even believe that you can become that, not by your own power, of course, but by the power of God? Can God make you? into this perfect man according to the measure of the stature that is the fullness of Christ. Now, we hear that word perfect, and we're like, that's impossible, because we think, oh, that means sinless. Well, this word teleon in the Greek, it means something that has gone through these steps to reach consummation. If you think of it as a man, you know you're born, you go through uh, various stages, and maturity. But there is a point when you get around, what is it, 18 to 21 somewhere, where you would be considered to lay on. You're a perfect man. You're like, no, I'm not. Well, according to this word, you are. You've gone through every step in growth and maturity, and now you have become what Scripture or how scripture here is using this word perfect. Now, spiritually speaking, I, it's used uh, 19 times in the New Testament, but I think we get the clearest understanding of what this word means in the words of Paul in Philippians. In chapter 3, he uses this word. You know, when he's, he's just given who he was, it's like, look, I was, I was a Pharisee, I tried to keep the law, and, you know, in that I would have reason for boasting. But he says, all those things which were gained to me, I now count them as loss. Yes, I count all things as loss. For the excel excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus the Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things, count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is by the law, but a righteousness that's by faith in him, a righteousness from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, even being conformed to his death, that by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And he says, I do not consider myself to have attained, but I press on to lay hold of what Christ has laid hold of me for. I don't consider myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, I reach forward to the things which lie ahead, forgetting those things which lie behind. I press on to the goal, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he says, let as many of you who are to lay on, who are mature, who are perfect, have this mindset. And if anyone thinks otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. So who is this perfect man, this perfect Christian man, this mature Christian man? It is the one 
who counts all things lost for Christ, the one who puts all his hope in Christ, trusting in the righteousness of Christ alone, all his life. This one thing defines his whole life. He's pressing on towards Christ. This is the perfect man according to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And still we know that man still sins, but this man repents. And this man keeps pressing on towards Christ. And this is what we are all called to be. And we can be that by the power of God. The power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you if you are a Christian this morning. And we can press on to be that perfect man. But as we see here, the church, your pastors, it's a vital part of that. It's not a disposable part. In other words, you're not going to become this man if you neglect what Paul is setting before us today. But anyway, now to looking at it from a negative side. So we've seen the pastors are gifts for your equipping and edification on the negative side. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine or teaching. It says, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. There's a lot of teaching out there. It may be easy to just recognize teaching that is, oh, that's clearly false, but that's not the teaching that's so dangerous that he's talking about here. You see, this teaching... It's by the trickery of men, the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. It's not a teaching that we can just say, oh, that's obviously false. That just change one thing here. It looks good. I mean, even Paul says, Satan himself comes as an angel of light in disguise. So it's no wonder that his ministers come disguised as ministers of righteousness. They're all over in our churches today. They'll just change this small thing. That Oh, this is inconsequential. You know about the deity of Christ. Oh, you know when Jesus Christ came from heaven, when it said he emptied himself, he emptied himself of his deity. He wasn't God. Just, just little things like that. Oh, that, that's no big deal. I still believe in Jesus. Well, you don't believe in the biblical Jesus. So, when we come, when you guys come, and your pastor, a gift from God, stands up here to open up the word of God, it's as we see in verse 13, to come to a unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. So what we believe about Christ, it, shouldn't, it should be unified. It shouldn't be, well, I believe this. Well, I believe this. Well, we can all get along. We can set that aside. Now, there's certain things. Yes, we should, you know, be gracious with each other. But there's certain things that we must be unified on. So what are some of those things? Well, we could go a lot of places, but if we just back up here, you know, verse 4, he says, there's one body. So he's talking about the church. We should be unified 
on our doctrine of the church as the body of Christ and all that implies, which what we're dealing with today. He says, there's one body and one spirit. We should be unified on our doctrine of the Holy Spirit. He says, you are called in one hope of your calling. We should be unified in the hope of our calling. You know, there's, there's many that even claim, you know, to be Christian religions. You know, but they're not unified in hope. Because they don't put hope in Christ alone. It's Christ plus, oh, I got to do these things. No, it's Christ alone. And that is your only hope. If you are not in Christ this morning, it doesn't matter what you do. You have no hope. But like Hebrews says, a certain fearful expectation of wrath and fury from the Almighty God. There's only one hope, and Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's many other religions, even claim to be Christian, many other things out there. But Christ isn't the only hope. We need to be unified in he says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's many out there that say, hey, you can be saved and make Christ your Lord later. Well, according to this, there's only one Lord. And this Lord says, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. He doesn't say, well, come follow me and we'll get to that later. He says, no. If anyone does not hate his father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He cannot follow me. He cannot be a Christian. If you love your father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. There's one Lord. If you don't lose your life for his sake, you won't find it. There's one Lord. We must be unified in that. One faith, one baptism, that's union with Christ. One God, the Father of all. So these are the things we must be unified on. Because there's many teachings out there. They'll change this little thing about Christ. They'll change this little thing about, well, you know, you, you can be, you know, a carnal Christian and you live this way, but I mean... You, you still believe. I mean, you confess with your mouth. You believe in your heart. There's many deceptive teachings out there. But we need to have pastors that will open up the word of God to us. Set the truth of these things so all of us reach the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God. And we are no longer tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. So that's the purpose of your pastor as a gift. And in verse 15, we see the goal of this purpose. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So the goal of all of this, which we have already seen, the goal is growth. Growth. To become that perfect man, according to the measure of the stature 
of the fullness of Christ. But then we might say, okay, so I will come to church. So I'll, I'll, I'll submit myself to my pastors. I will learn from them. I will have them involved in my life that they can minister to me, that they can equip me for the ministry, that I can be built up. But I can still just go to church and go home. Well, Paul doesn't let us go there in verse 15. When after he speaks of the head who is Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body. We can't separate the head from the body. It says from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. According to the effective working. Notice that word effective. Effective working by which every part does its share. In other words, the effectiveness of the church and the growth of each and every one of you, yes, it starts with the pastor, but it doesn't end there. Each and every one of you must be involved in the ministry of the church. So I ask you today, what is your involvement in the ministry of the church? Is Christ pleased with your involvement in his body? So we see that when every member does its share, it says causes the growth of the body for the edifying, the building up of itself in love. So we see the purpose of our pastor as a gift for equipping our edification on the negative side for our protection, our preservation. We see his goal is the growth of not just you as an individual, but every individual for the good of the body. Okay, but if the pastor, if I just get up here, I open up the word of God to you, and I set these truths before you, and then I go and sit down how much of a gift am I to you you know in these um, verses like if we back up verse 8 it says he gave gifts to men so he gave gifts to men now yes your pastor if he faithfully preaches the word of God is a gift, but he's only a gift to the extent that he points to the greater gift. This same word, gave, is used many times in scriptures, but especially here. When Jesus Christ says, you know, as that serpent in the wilderness was lifted up, says, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. He says, for God so loved the world 
that he, and here's this word, gave. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And he said, whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And we're like, okay, that's simple. Just believe. Well, what does it mean to believe? Well, after Jesus says the Son of Man has come into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him, he says, he who believes is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. And if you are in here this morning and you do not believe in Christ, you don't just have condemnation awaiting you. You are condemned already. The wrath of God is already abiding on you. And he says, explaining the condemnation to those who don't believe. So how do you know if you don't believe? What well, Jesus tells us, he says, this is the condemnation. The light has come into the world. Jesus Christ has come into the world and he's revealed like a light the person and the will of God. The light has come into the world and says men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. He says for everyone who's doing evil hates the light. You're like, I don't hate Christ. Well, if you love your darkness, and not the light of Christ? You want to live your own way? Even though the word of God condemns it, you hate Christ. You hate the light. Says everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light. So why don't people believe? Why don't people come to the light of Christ? I mean, that we all sit in a service. We all hear the same gospel. Why do some come? Why do some not come? He says, they don't come to the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. So why don't people come to Christ? Why don't people come to the light of Christ? The same reason that cockroaches don't come out the dark corners and run into the middle of the room. They don't want to be exposed. They're like, I like living this way. I'm going to stay in the dark. I'm not going to church around those people. I'm going to be exposed. They're going to present the word of God and I'm not going to like it. I'm not going to Christ. I'm not going to the body of Christ. I'm going to stay in my little dark corner. Now even as Christians who do believe, we can fall victim to this. And we want to... We want to withdraw from everything. We want to withdraw from our pastors. We want to withdraw from the people of God. We want to go back in the dark. We don't want to be exposed. But Jesus doesn't leave us there. He says, but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds are clearly seen is being done in God. So what does it mean to believe? means to come to the light. We have the light of Christ. He's revealed this God who so loved the world. 
You know that's one thing that separates Christianity from every other religion in this world. No other religion has a loving God. There is none. They all have this God. Oh, you work for me. And if you work enough for me, then you get to go to heaven. You get to live eternally. There's no other religion out there who has a loving God. A loving God who sends his son as a savior. No other religion has a savior. They'll all save yourself. You do these things. You mess up. You do these things to appease your angry God. But God said, you can't appease me, but I know who can, and that's me. So I'm sending my son to appease myself on your behalf. That's Christianity. He sent his son, this loving God sent his son into the world. And Christ has revealed God. Christ has revealed the person of God, the will of God. And he said, he who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Young, old, rich, poor, it doesn't matter. You come to Christ. He was speaking to the Pharisees at one point, And he said, you know, the tax collectors. Yeah, all those people you hate, they're coming into the kingdom before you. It doesn't matter who you are. They condemn Jesus. Oh, why are you hanging out with those people? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how condemned you feel. Jesus Christ is a Savior. God is a loving God. Come to Christ. And if you have come to Christ, rejoice. That your deeds are clearly seen as being done in God. And as we have come to Christ, as we see in our passage here, we must give ourselves to the gifts he has given to each and every one of you for your equipping, for your edification, for your growth. So that is why we are here today. We're not just here to meet, to sing some songs and hear a message and go and eat some food and have some fun. We're here today. I hope this is the reason you're here today. That you've come to be equipped. You've come to be built up. You've come for Christ to be set before you. You've come longing, hungering, and thirsting after righteousness as Jesus speaks. Hungering and thirsting to be this perfect man according to the measure that is the stature of the fullness of Christ. I hope that's the reason that you've come this morning. And that's the reason why you continually come. So... This is the church, the body of Christ, which we have been called. We all have been called, whether pastors or not. You've all been called to this body. So let, as Paul says, 
Let this whole body work effectively as each of you gets involved in the ministry for the growth of this body, edifying, building itself up in love. Let's pray. Holy and righteous Heavenly Father, Father, I know I am nothing. It's hard for me to believe that someone like me would be a gift to the people here, the saints here, the precious saints in this place. It is true, you use the foolish. I pray, Lord, that you would use this word. It will come powerfully to everyone here. And we would give ourselves to submitting ourselves unto the gifts of our pastors for equipping, for edification, for our growth, not just as individuals, but as a body, that we may be a church functioning in a way that is pleasing in your sight. Father God, we see the churches in Revelation, and only two of them did not hear the words, but I have this against you. I pray that if, as you, Christ, as you look upon this church, you would have nothing to say against us because we are giving ourselves to speaking the truth in love and growing up in all things to him who is the head, Christ, through whom the whole body is joined and knit together by, by what every joint supplies according to the effective working of this body here at 116 to be built up in love. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.